Grab your Bibles with me and turn to the New Testament pastoral epistle named Titus. You'll find Titus talked just after 2 Timothy, just before short letter of Philemon. Today we conclude what essentially is a little three-part focus on verses 5 through 9. As Paul is instructing Titus to appoint elders in the area of Crete, the shepherding of God's saved saints, and giving clarity as to what the qualifications of those elders should be for this important role among God's people. Look with me at the entire passage, Titus 1, 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, His children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. If you missed the first two messages that really built on God's good design for sheep to have shepherds and the role that we play in your lives, and then a detailed look last week at those qualifications, I encourage you to go back to the podcast and spend some time there. Um, This is important to your life all that the Lord has ordained for you, church. But today, as we, as we move forward, understand with me that all of the qualifications that Paul highlighted in verse 6 through 8 have to do with the man's character and with his maturity in Christ-likeness. Then in verse 9, Paul turns to what a qualified man must be able and willing to do. All of Paul's emphasis here in verse 9 is really centered around a man's understanding and handling of God's authoritative written word. The pastors of God's blood-bought bride are called to preach and to teach and lead and govern and protect and care for the flock according to God's life-transforming and authoritative word. And so we look to the, the threefold Uh, emphasis of this verse, starting with the first portion of it, verse 9. Paul says, clearly, the qualified elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. To hold firm, also often translated to hold fast. To the trustworthy word as taught is to highlight one's conviction, to properly understand be taught, and then totally trust in God's Word. This is about a man's conviction to build his life on God's Word, to not just kind of know it and consider it, but to have studied it, to have been taught it, and then truly and fully submit oneself completely to the authoritative Word of God. The Greek word for whole firm here means to strongly cling to or adhere to. So Paul's emphasis here is a relentless devotion. The one who is going to lead God's people must have for his holy word to hold it fast and firm, 
to not be unwavering, but to study, to be taught humbly, to know it, and then to live it out obediently. These mature brothers in Christ are, are faithful doers of the word and not hearers only, as James commissions in James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, thereby deceiving yourselves. Uh, let me point out for all of us this morning, by way of application, if you are going to be a faithful doer of the word, you must first hear it rightly. You must know what it says and understand it properly, or then what you're doing if, if not understood rightly, is not biblical. It might be religious, it might seem good, but is it biblical? Those who hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught have an essential practice and commitment to hearing God's word, studying it, having been taught it. We have to hear it, we have to understand it before we can obey it to know it before we can teach it. So our, our hearing or having been taught it, church, is essential. It's essential for all of our life and faith. This is a critical part of holding fast to it. And let me just show you a couple key foundational layers that, that lead to this. First, we have no faith in God. We have no life in Christ without first hearing. God's word is clear, Romans 10, 14. How are they to believe in him of who they've never heard? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. There is or are many people who do hear with physical ears the gospel, but they do not believe in it. Hebrews 4, 2. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened, or you could say those who heard. The same gospel message was preached to this audience. Some were given by God's sovereignty ears to hear it, and others were not. In their sin, those others did not hear the good news. They did not repent. They did not believe. So this points us to the essential sovereign work of the Lord to unstop spiritually deaf ears blinded by sin, enslaved to sin, so that we hear the good news and then respond with saving faith. Jesus tells a, a famous parable in Mark chapter 4 about different kinds of soil. It's often represented very wrong in people's interpretation of this passage. It's, it, it's a parable told to talk about different kinds of hearing of the gospel. His point is to clarify the need to truly hear the gospel you must be given ears to hear it. He says in Mark 4, 9, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the sovereign work of God to open spiritually deaf ears, to hear the good news of the gospel, so that we truly repent from sin and trust him with our entire lives. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. John 3, 6. So church, this morning, see with me, the Holy Spirit's mighty and important, vital role in God's giving of new birth to his elect. Spiritual new birth is an essential step for anyone who is dead in sin to be made alive by the Spirit. Only then can we hear the gospel and respond in saving faith. 
Church, I want you to be oh so mindful and thankful for the work of God the Holy Spirit, whom without we would be spiritually dead and deaf. We are desperate for the regenerating and then sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because to attempt to do what is righteous without true regeneration and Holy Spirit conviction is to produce self-righteousness. It is man-made religion at best. If our doing the commands of God is not empowered by the Holy Spirit and specifically by Holy Spirit-driven hearing, it's vain. It's religion. It's good for nothing. And so I would just ask you to make it personal by way of application. Are you just doing what you think is best what you're supposed to do? Or are you doing the things of God because you're convicted in your hearing of his word that it is his perfect will and way for you? I pray we don't miss the vital role of the Holy Spirit in our hearing, in our understanding the word rightly, in our being taught it rightly. Shepherds of God's flock must be committed to not just hearing that brings salvation, but a study of the word, a, a humility to be taught the word rightly, right? So we don't just get there on our own. There, there's a discipleship, there's a discipline, there's a teaching, an imparting. If our pastors are going to lead God's people God's way and not their own way, then we must be humbly submitted to the Word of God and understanding it correctly. Their holding firm really starts with faithful, humble, fruitful study, learning, being taught to know God's Word correctly. For you too, if you're going to hold firm to God's word as trustworthy, as taught, then you too must spend time studying it, hearing it, understanding it, being taught it correctly. If you skip this discipline, then I would just ask, what are you really holding firm to? I love this quote from Pastor John Piper heard me say it before, there is a spiritual diet without which no Christian can be strong or healthy or fruitful. That is a diet of the Word of God. In your own study, discipleship, sitting under the faithful teaching, preaching of your shepherds. Is that your practice? Is that your habit? Is that your diet? Only when we understand it rightly, then are we able to live it out faithfully, completely, and obediently. Paul commends another young shepherd by the name of Timothy in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 16. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, on your doctrine. This means the readied man of God to lead God's people must be proven, vetted, to be committed to keep a close watch on his own life and faith, 
and on sound doctrine? Does he know it? Has he been taught it? If not, he will not be qualified. He will not honor the Lord in how he attempts to lead God's sheep. A shepherd's spiritual leadership of Christ is not dependent, therefore, on his personality, on his natural abilities, on his education, on his common sense, on his human wisdom. No, it's built on his right knowledge of the Holy Scriptures and his commitment to trust himself to it and then to teach his flock faithfully to know it and trust it as well. The man who's not truly and fully holding fast to God's word as it has been taught in his heart and life is not then qualified to lead the sheep or to preach it. The power and truth of God's word must be woven into the fabric of a shepherd, who he is, unto that which is completely and accountably submissive to it. Like the apostles in the early church, qualified and faithful shepherds must devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Acts 6.4 Without this, a preacher will backfill what's missing with his own convictions, preferences, priorities, ideas, or stories. I can tell you, looking back at God's refinement in my own teaching and preaching discipline over the last three decades, I, I can see how this is true of me. The more I've understood and trusted and obeyed God's word, the more I'm convicted to get out of the way of it. Get out of the way of the work of God's power to change lives. For it's his power at work. It's his word at work that changes lives. Not me. Not, not my stories. Not my ideas. Praise God for his reformation in us all. Amen. Church, do you see the, the potency, the power of God's truths in your life? You, you need to not undervalue or underestimate the Holy Spirit's work through them to do amazing things in you. But Paul refers to, to God's word in Ephesians 6, verse 17, as the sword of the Spirit. So my charge, church, is to be really careful and to not see what this contains as soft, leather, round edges and, and frail pages. No, no, this is a sword like no other. An offensive weapon, one that you've been entrusted. You are not to make light of. God's word is truth. And it is the weapon you're given for this battle we're in. You can't afford to undervalue it or to not practice with it to fight in this battle. I want you to listen really carefully to a verse you'll probably recognize, but hear with me how truly unlike anything else, sharp and effective the Word of God when rightly understood and 
revealed is. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No, no other sword, no other offensive weapon you might try to pick up is going to do that like this. The sword of the Spirit is powerful. It's authoritative. It's impactful. For it is the far-reaching truths of the Holy God. Church, I want you to see the potency of what God's put in your hands. That there's nothing better he would equip us with. Pastor Piper also said this, I loosely quote him, that I don't know why anyone would attempt to navigate this devil-filled world without their sword. Which is the God's holy word. What disciplines are you committed to every day that you just can't do without? And is your study, is your commitment to understanding properly being taught the word, one of those? Oh, how it needs to be. This is modeled by Jesus himself, who in a time of great vulnerability in his flesh, not having eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan himself comes to tempt Satan with some of the greatest and biggest temptations ever recorded. And what Jesus responds with is nothing that you don't have. He simply quotes Holy Scripture to combat the tempter's greatest efforts to get him to sin. You have it the same. Right? It is the words of God known and wielded as truth. Thomas said, speaks to this well. Only with the word of God does the Christian become wiser than our spiritual enemies. Psalm 119.98 Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. To, to become handy with the sword of the Spirit, we need to become studied in the word, or as the psalmist says, we need to store up God's word in our hearts. Psalm 119.11 Maybe you're working hard lately to store up other things in your life, on your shelves, in your circumstances, thinking if I just kind of get this thing tucked in, it's going to be good. Are you storing up God's word in your heart so it's ready to help you and deliver you and wield, be wielded to help you fight? have to hold fast to it. That's to devote ourselves, to fix our attention on it, to commit our entire person to it. Meditating on it day and night, as the psalmist says. Hear his words, chapter 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. To hold fast to the word daily, we need to put it deep into the soil of our hearts and our minds so we can meditate on it, so that we're grounded in it, so that our roots are deep, so that they're not shallow, so we're easily toppled. When the storms rage, and they will, you're grounded. By faith in your Lord and Savior, in the promises and truths and commands of Holy Scripture. Paul says the qualified elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught. Oh, how trustworthy it is. Why? Because it's God's word. He cannot lie. It is trustworthy to a degree by which nothing could be more true, more trustworthy. These 66 books is the God-ordained writings of the prophets and the apostles so that we would have his revelation, his word. It's what's been taught. The written word of God. It's trustworthy because it will do exactly what he ordains it to do. What he wills it to do in our lives. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable to teach you, to reprove you, to correct you, to train you in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Christian, do you have this much confidence in God's word? If so, do you then give your life to its study, humble yourself to be discipled, to be taught God's word so that we all can hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught? Amen? Look at the second part. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. This is the ministry God assigns to elders, pastors, overseers for the preaching and teaching of God's word to his people, the church. When a shepherd is well studied and grounded and trusted in God's word, he is able to give instruction to God's people in sound doctrine. The word that we read here as give instruction is the Greek word parakaleo. It means to exhort others. 
to urge or encourage strongly. It's where we get our English word counseling. It is to instruct or to counsel God's sheep in sound doctrine. The word sound here means, it means healthy, whole, complete. It's not doctrine that's counterfeit or incomplete. It's sound. It's, it's solidly authentic. Good and a right representation of the truth. It's faithful to the scriptures. The teaching of sound doctrine is so critical if the church is going to grow properly. Sadly, it's become all too common for many modern-day churches to make light of doctrine, sound doctrine, in an effort to focus on attracting and managing the masses. Do you notice in so much of this, the shepherds are not commended to come up with strategies to attract and manage the masses. Nowhere is that in here. And yet all these new books that are written over these last decades are so focused on that. This is why our conviction as a church has been to move away from that, in many ways known for much of that, to repent of that and to get back to the simplistic call of the Lord to do what he's called us to do. Your pastors, your shepherds need to be spending time to study and to teach and lead the church according to the word, not to be having strategy sessions about marketing campaigns and, and parades and events that would bring new people. I think the effort towards these unbiblical priorities for shepherds, is why so many modern-day Christians are so malnourished and struggling to live faithfully and sacrificially for Jesus in all they do. They're a part of a form of labeled Christianity that's not committed to the faithful and unapologetic preaching and teaching of God's truths. And where that's happening, those people will remain shallow in their faith and largely ignorant to the full knowledge of God's truth, which then impacts not only them, but those that are coming behind them. Parents to your children, brothers and sisters in Christ to your neighbors, your co-workers, your extended family. Listen to Paul drive this home. God's good design for how the church is to operate in this instrumental part of proper teaching of sound doctrine. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers, so that's us, to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we obtain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
Here in verse, verse 14, Paul is saying we need to be maturing in doctrine, in Christ-likeness, so that we may no longer be the following things you list here. Maturity in Christ is essential to our stability in the midst of life's great trials and temptations, that we'd remain faithful. The first emphasis he gives here, and I want to highlight a couple, is that we're no longer like children. Right? A good metaphor for maturity or lack thereof. Children are naive. They're largely ignorant. They're easy to sway or to deceive. They're, they're some little children are small in frame and stature, so therefore they're weak. In this, Paul is talking about the need for theological stability in a world that's constantly coming at you with manipulation and temptation and deception. Littlest children are unstable, just learning to walk, navigate a room, immature when it comes to good balance and discernment for what to say yes or no to. They're just learning. Child's not ready to navigate and stand fast in the midst of life's trials and manipulations. It's God's good plan and blessing of qualified shepherds to teach sound doctrine that we would mature, be discipled, so that we wouldn't remain kids our entire lives. If you're feeling somewhat convicted by that personally and feeling like, hey, I'm a little older and I still feel like so much that describes me, I would just say, praise God that in his sovereignty, he's at work in you now. And so let's be diligent, not, not to continue at the pace you've been and making excuses, but to lean in and let the Lord go to work. And see what he can do. Spiritual maturity in Christ and his holy word is the grounding. It's the stability we need to endure life's trials and temptations as we grow up and mature in all these ways. Church stability, maturity is key because life is going to rage at you. And so Jesus taught this in his famous illustration in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And hear how it's so linked to what why shepherds need to be doing this with the sheep in the church. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, it did not fall. And the winds, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. To truly be built on the rock that is Jesus Christ and his holy word means you have heard the gospel and are fully given your life to Christ. You now belong to Jesus. It's your joy to belong to him. And so it's your joy to know him and be taught truth and to mature and to obey him. As you study God's word, as you're faithful to be committed to a local church where you're sitting under the faithful teaching and preaching of qualified elders, where you can be discipled, that's going to help you in this. When you hear the instruction of the truth of God, you obey it. 
You don't reason with it. You don't make excuses. No, you submit to it joyfully, faithfully. If you all too often feel unstable, then, then using the context of these scriptures, I would encourage you this way. That likely your issue is not the storm you're in, but the maturity of your grounding in Christ alone, based on His holy promises and truth found in His Word, that empowers your faith. So in other words, what you don't need is just life to start going your way as we often get caught up in thinking that's really what's going to make it all better. But no, what I need is to be more stable and grounded in Christ, in faith, in his word. And so if that's you, then maybe there's a fresh leaning in to the church. To, to, to the sitting under sound teaching and preaching, to be discipled by mature brothers and sisters in Christ. There, there's a humbling of yourself to do that. Just because you did that once or back then doesn't mean you don't continue to do it. That there's a maturity happening under greater stability and in this feel less and less like a child that's wobbly and constantly ready just to be tipped over. Notice another clarity here as it relates to our passage, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. The term wind of doctrine is meant to convey a, convey a flippant, ill-founded, unbiblical, unestablished, trendy belief. It's false doctrine. It's compared to wind because it's so light and, and empty. There's a sinful pride at work that can cause a person's propensity to grab hold of trendy doctrine because our flesh can struggle with the notion of not wanting to be old-fashioned or outdated. Our culture really comes hard at us. Don't be old-fashioned. Don't be outdated. And so we're constantly like struggling with not wanting to be part of that. But in that fear to be left behind, then we're vulnerable to, to say yes to things that seem trendy or popular. Or this is good for me or my wife or my kids to know what's trending. I don't, I don't want to be out of the know. I want to know. And in this lane, many Christians can fall into great compromise, especially when it comes to doctrine. The aim of keeping yourself relevant or current. Churches who are caught up in this just end up a mess. I've kind of joked with you before that it's not bad to be old-fashioned, traditional. Why? Because God and his word are the best epitome of old school where truth resides and is lasting and unwavering. One of the great ploys of our enemy is to, to teach us to value, to be progressive and 
finding new territory and cutting edge. Parents, can I just commend you quickly as a sidebar? We're in danger of doing this with our own children. The most important season of their lives, their childhood, they're there to be raised, they're to be trained, they're to be honed, protected, and shaped by you. In God's truths, and yet far too many parents fall prey to, to the concern that their kids are not keeping up with their peers. And so we're going to compromise things to make sure they don't fall out of the norm. Church, can I just remind you that to be a Christian is in many ways to look nothing like the world. come to see what a disaster this is for too many of our youth, our families. There's nothing better, nothing better than training up your child in the ways of God. The best equipping they're going to have for their lives. Nothing will benefit them more. No compromise for trendy thinking or practices will be better for them. If anything, it will be far worse for them. Church, I, trends, if I could use another word to help us understand the, the faultiness of trends, is the word trendy. Trends are trendy. What does that mean? They come and they go. They're soft. They're not solid. May we see the error it is to allow our doctrine, our lives, our convictions to practice or follow or seek out the world's trends. Hebrews 13, 9. Do not be led away by diverse or strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. When our faith is not firm and maturing in God's truth and our spiritual muscles are not being trained there, we are vulnerable to believe false doctrine, to believe crafty deception of the enemy. For those of you who grew up in the church, spent a lot of time in the church before coming to disciples, or maybe even you who were part of this church historically before its reformation of 15 years ago, there's much of God's word that you didn't understand biblically, historically, rightly. You, who God really is, according to Scripture, not tradition or denomination or your pastor's preference, your parents' preference. How he, who God really is, according to his word. How he works, how he saves, what he wants from us, and on and on. And I want you to remember back to those seasons and how, sus how susceptible you were. Think about how that influenced you and or those that you were influencing. Some of you are newer to the church, to our church, to starting to see that there's much you didn't understand rightly or know at all. Things that you thought you knew were good or right, but found they're unbiblical. 
and you're growing, and I love hearing your testimonies of like, I'm seeing who God is in such a bigger way. I mean, my faith's expanding. My worship is different. My, my devotion, my, my ability to say no to sin, like the way the church, you're just tasting that. And I would just say, praise God for his work on us all. His work, through his word, faithfully. So see how much of that comes back to this design found in this passage that the pastors are to be committed to knowing and teaching sound doctrine. And where that gets astray has a huge domino effect on so many people. Another thing this shows us is just time in the church is not simply enough. Just you saying how many years you've logged in the church. It really is about quality over quantity. To be active in studying the word rightly, being taught it correctly, being discipled actively by biblically convicted shepherds and disciplers to help you learn and trust in sound doctrine. This is why it's such a vital part of Paul's charge to Titus. The elders need to faithfully teach and teach the sheep sound doctrine so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. This is a high and important call. One that in a special way began when Jesus turned to Peter. John 21, 17. He's getting ready to ascend. He says to Peter, feed my sheep. Can you imagine the responsibility, the privilege Peter must have felt to be commissioned by Christ to feed his sheep? That job, I can tell you personally, it is high and weighty. And understand, this is a charge not given to just me. It's a charge given to all of your qualified elders who God raises to the office of biblical elder. Paul is clear to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.2, the elders must be able to teach. Though not every elder God raises will have the full-time work of preaching, teaching, as some may have unique propensity to that or, or time providentially afforded for the study and there's a big commitment the church makes. A large portion of my work week paid by the church is my prayer and study and preparation to preach, to teach you. That's how big this is in the economy of the church. God puts... And also to note there, that's a shift. That's a shift from how we used to do it in the church growth era where the preaching pastor was also spending a lot of time in creative meetings and dealing with all the other stuff of how to grow a church. So there is a shift in our reformation. Now your time is to do a lot less of that and a lot more of this. Every elder must be able to teach the full counsel of God in the scriptures. God puts this in place so that those who make decisions for the local church and teach the local church, do that, not based on their own opinions or preferences, 
but out of the authority and wisdom of God and his word. This is too major to be overlooked or set aside. There are a lot of things I would say you should have patience for with your elders. Rightly dividing and teaching God's word is not one of them. There's too much at stake. James stresses this reality. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James 3.1. There's an influence, there's a responsibility in this. that It needs to be done rightly, biblically, correctly. If a person takes on this responsibility of teaching God's sheep, they take on the scrutiny, the additional scrutiny that comes with wielding that influence. Jesus warns in Luke 12, 48, everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrust much, they will demand the more. And sometimes we can look to the roles of those who are on the stage or teaching or preaching as cool or prestigious, and we shouldn't be influenced that way, maybe to the point where you're longing one day to get to do it. No, James is clear, no, few of you should do this. There's, instead of any, any kind of ego or pride that comes from it, there should be a right fear and trembling that teachers should have. Responsibility to correctly wield God's word with God-honoring influence to others. This is not a light one. It's a discipline of life to study and to grow and there's no room for arrogance or pride or ego. And I'm sad to see those who we've kind of watched who struggled with that. Many of those men have proven to be disqualified and removed from their churches. One went so far not so long ago to kill himself. There's a discipline of life and study and humility that's got to happen. That's why Paul is stressing to Titus, take this serious. Let's get this right. These guys need to be properly trained, studied, committed, holding fast, and then doing it. They must be able to do it. Then they must do it. It's not an option. It's a must. Qualified shepherds must be able to do this. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. As we look to that last portion of the verse, can I just say, will you be praying for your shepherds when it comes to the practice, the study, the, the, the doing of preaching and teaching? The, the editing, the, the efforts we make to try to, to do that well here. Um, thank you for the ways that you support that, endorse it, help it. Thank you for the ways that you're learning to even change some of your expectations for how the shepherds do their week. right? Because in much of maybe the model you grew up in, there's a work day and you kind of say, well, hey, where's pastor? Where, where are the elders? Why aren't they scooping with a shovel? And part of that is the unique 
stewardship of our week and time to do the things that only we can do. Right? So our job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. There's a lot of you who can hold the shovel. There's not a lot of you who can study for 20 hours this week and preach up here. So there's a protection of that. It's even why the office of deacon is created, so that more could be delegated away so that the pastors could pray and study and teach. And as we're about to see, protect the sheep. So as much as you are all able to keep us doing that and not doing all these other things is good for the economy of the church and may be helpful then why you're not feeling like, ah, our pastor's a bum. No shovel in his hand. Look at the last part of the verse. To rebuke those who contradict it. He says, elders must know the Bible well enough to properly be able and equipped to rebuke those who speak falsely, who speak against God's truth. There's two ways that shepherds do this. The first is by watching, discerning, keeping watch, being on guard for the presence of false doctrine. Acts 20, 28-31, Paul says to the elders, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on guard. Be on guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. How important is this activity of qualified elders for the sheep? In Paul's eyes, so important that he's regularly, day and night, warning them. It means so much to him that he's warning them through tears. Typically, when you see a grown man crying, something very serious is happening. This is very serious. Paul summons the Ephesian elders together. His message to them is clear. Be on guard, because wolves are among you. And a shepherd who doesn't discern and watch for wolves is not a very good shepherd. And understand, the wolf that's trying to get to the sheep is less likely one to cause you physical harm, but more the way that the enemy wants to get to you is through spiritual harm, perpetuating things that are false, to perpetuate false doctrine as opposed to sound doctrine. So elders are to be watchful, to be discerning, to try to catch those slight words or ways that the true gospel is perverted, or that sound doctrine is turned on its head. And they're slight. That, that, that's, the, that's the work of the deceiver is to deceive. Right? Realize, church, you know, when you think about some of these things, you're thinking about all these warnings about wolves being among you. You know, sometimes you might be quick to go, well, man, you guys seem to have that pretty easy lately. Like, I don't look around the room. I see people drooling like wolves. Like, we don't got any of those here. They're wolves in sheep's clothing, right? 
Jesus brings stern warning, Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. So that means there's a uniqueness to the post of a qualified shepherd to help try to identify that. So I just also bring this thing then. When you, it feels like maybe the pastors, the elders are being a little picky. Ah, you're, it feels you're being a little picky. Our job's to be picky. Because that deception, that, that, that false teaching, it comes slightly. So we're looking to try to help you discern the books you're reading, the authors you're listening to, what you're watching on TV, movies and shows and lyrics. And we want to help protect you from grabbing hold of the stuff that sounds great. Someone posts something on their wall on social media, oh, that, oh, that sounds so great. And it's just wrong. <laughs> Paul's clear to say the church is always threatened, always under attack. Satan doesn't take vacations. Sin lurks at the door waiting for a moment of doctrinal or moral carelessness. So shepherds are to stay awake, to be alert, to know sound doctrine so they can discern false doctrine. Why is this so important? Because false teaching leads to false faith, which leads to false living. Elders are responsible for having enough biblical knowledge to help refute false doctrine, to be spiritually alert, to be courageous enough to call it out, even, even if that's unpopular. Peter warns the elect exiles in 2 Peter 2.1, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Why is it so important your elders are watching for false doctrine? Because of what Peter says here. Destructive heresies. Damnable heresy. Stuff that's so wrong, it leads to faith in a wrong gospel, a false gospel, and other gods, and is not saving at all. Because, why is it so important? Because it's a matter of life and death. You're promoting life through biblical truth or you're promoting death through man-made heresy. You remember our work through John's second letter, recent season of the life of our church, 2 John 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is a deceiver, the Antichrist. Church, church, we're at war. Please, I pray you see that. If you were here Wednesday night, you, you were reminded of the reality of demons and Satan, our enemy, and, and we're at war. Be careful how comfortable you're getting. I want you to be full of faith. I don't want you to be fearful of these things. We should fear nothing but God. He has us, right? But are you prayed up coming to church? Are you aware that any given Sunday, this stuff could go down? That, that, that in the corners and in the other studies and in the circling around and the other places where we're gathering, this stuff could go down. Our enemy, Satan, doesn't want to see people repent and trust in Jesus for salvation. He wants to convince the world of lies, false teachings. 
instead of trusting the only one who can save, Jesus himself. Praise God, praise God, praise God for the blessing that it is to be given his word, our sword. Praise God that he ordains to raise up and ready shepherds, qualified shepherds, who are studied and taught and are faithful to teach and equip the saints with God's word. Shepherds who watch for us and fight for us against what is false. Those that are looking to deceive and derail the people of God. The only gospel that sets us free. May, may we pray for our shepherds who labor in this most important way. And may the Lord continue to raise up through discipleship more shepherds for this time in life of the church and for the generations to come. This was not a portion of the text that's for someone else. I pray that now you've seen clearly after three sermons of working through these verses, this is very much for you, for your lives, for your good. God's good design for these things. We'd appreciate it. We'd hold fast to it, be committed to it. So excited about where we're headed moving forward. But let's first pray and lift our voices together. Lord, we thank you. For this time to, to slow, to study, to, 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 to be taught your word, to understand it rightly, historically, we, we're thankful for the reformation you've done in our own church in, in many of these ways. Much of getting this church to a healthy, growing, mature place was started here. It started with leadership and leadership's influence and priority for the church. And we don't want to lose sight of that now and moving forward. There's much that comes with this office that we'd be faithful to continue to hold up our pastors in prayer and all the ways, especially the enemy would love to derail them and get them distracted or diluted or disqualified. And the impact then that is on the church. I'm sad where I see what seems to be a real lack of vetting for men that are put up as pastors or not held accountable along the way and then later to see the, the reality of that and their demise and the fallout of the church. Protect us, Lord. Keep us elders accountable, plural, pressing into you, fighting sin, turning from it, maturing in Christ, being faithful to these things. Help us as the church to Embrace this, endorse it, support it, understand it, and see it applied. To be taught your word rightly, faithfully, for our own sanctification, edification, then the readiness of us to disciple others, what that means in our homes, in, in our circles of influence, in this time in life before you take us home to glory. Oh, what a day that will be. It's our joy to be your slave, to serve you today. We want to be grounded on the rock that is Jesus Christ. 
so that when the waves and the storms rage, we stand fast on your truth and for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.